Week 13, line moves in Suma. Getting on the right side of line moves is looking as important as ever these days. In your NFL Week 12 recap over at the Hammer.bet, you led off with a good overview of how well the closing line is performing this season. I'd love it if you could explain how you measure closing line value performance and what that means for betters moving forward. So, yeah, so on the one hand side, you can just in general look at what was the opener and where did a game close, and then you can compute some directional stuff. What I what I always do is I look at the mean absolute error for the for the closing line. Um, mean absolute error basically means the the absolute difference between the closing line and the actual game score. For example, when a favorite closes minus three at home and he loses by seven outright the difference will be 10 points. So the mean absolute error, or let's say the absolute error for that single data point will be 10. And when you do this for every game on the season, you will get the mean absolute error for all NFL spreads within one season or within one specific time frame. And from 2010 to 2021, the mean absolute error for the closing spread was, I think, 10.24. That means that on average, the closing spread is 10.24 points off compared to the actual game score. That seems like a lot, but when you think about a game that is played with uh, with um, scoring events of uh, seven and three, that makes a lot more sense. For example, um, I wrote it uh, on my article uh, at the hammer.bet on, on Monday, when there was a minus five point favorite and the game is tight in the end, the next touchdown will decide whether the absolute error is 2 or 12. So pretty uh, big uh, swing there. Um, yeah, and what's interesting is that this season, the mean absolute error is actually um, 8.58, which is almost two points uh, below the 12 uh, season-long average, which is pretty interesting. Um, my personal experience is that just subjectively more games come down to the wire late in the game in terms of um, the impact of the spread. We had so many games uh, this past week that basically came down to the last minute where the spread got decided in the, in the last minute of the game, like um, KC against Rams, 26-10 uh, uh, with a late <coughs> field goal. Uh, Dolphins betters had to sweat all, uh, all second half long that the Texans don't get the backdoor cover. So it, it really seems that I don't want to say or make the conclusion that the closing market, market is significantly more efficient. This could just be noise because uh, it is significantly below the 12 season long average. But it, 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 it really is by fact that um, NFL games in terms of the spread outcome are closer this season than they have been in, uh, in seasons past. And I was curious to read that because as a teaser better myself as listeners to our Friday flagship show would know, it has been a rough go with Wong teasers this season. Classically, there's just so much mathematical value. And you'd think if the closing line is performing so efficiently, teasers would have a lot of value. I know you talked about the Chiefs and the Dolphins big favorites last week with games going down to the wire from an ATS outcome standpoint. 
But do you think that the numbers you've discovered might mean that for those with the intestinal fortitude, mm -hmm. sticking with the process with those Wong teasers crossing through three and seven could hold still a good bit of value the rest of the season, despite the rocky ride that it had been, especially for the first couple of months? Yeah, I think that's also subject to variance. I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, but I read a tweet that the um, current uh, teaser lag fair price, when we only look at this week's, uh, at this season's sample size, is somewhere in the plus money range. And usually you have to play, uh, pay minus 120, minus 110, minus 110 when you have a very, very sneakily uh, PPH book or something that still offers minus 110 wrong teasers. But, but usually you have to play, you have to pay minus 120. And with the fair price this season being in the plus 102 range or something, teasers in hindsight have been a minus EV proposition, but it doesn't mean that they are a, a, a minus EV proposition going forward. Uh, we should expect this to to revert uh, because that would be such such a significant um, uh, yeah outlier uh, compared to seasons past. Usually, I think uh, the fair price for Wong teasers is somewhere in the minus 130 range. Uh, I've done the math on a, uh, in an article last season. I don't remember the, the exact uh, numbers, but I think it was somewhere in the minus 128, minus 130 range or so. So yeah, this should revert back to the mean at some point. I will keep my fingers crossed that it does moving forward. It seems like we might already see that process underway. This past week was excellent from a teaser standpoint. And really the past few weeks, we've seen that start to regress in a positive way toward the mean. So plenty to look forward to. And as we look forward, let's get to the week 13 slate. Lots of meaningful line movement pretty early on in this week's betting market, starting with the Thursday nighter. And we've got a good Thursday nighter. So Al Michaels should be happy with his assignment for once with Amazon this week. Buffalo at New England. The Bills open a five-point favorite, and that's down to Buffalo minus four. The total has also come down from an opener of 44.5 to 43.5. Suma, how much of this has to do with these teams at a macro level, and how much of it might have to do with Josh Allen's status, not only his elbow, but even his lower body looked pretty banged up at the end of that Thanksgiving win the Bills squeaked out over the Lions? Yeah, there are certainly some uncertainty uh, baked in when it comes to the Bills. Uh, it's been one-way action toward the pads. At this point, we are looking at uh, a spread of four ac across the board. The Bills are dealing with two major injuries. Um, left tackle Dion Dawkins was DLP DNP this week, and Vaughn Miller will also not play. So they are they, they will arguably we uh, uh, they will be with arguably their two best players on either line. Um, that, that's a tough loss, and then. The Buffalo Bills offense, despite um, putting up some decent numbers, they have not played up to their standards recently. And that might have to do something with Josh Allen's um, UCL injury. We don't know the full extent, or we cannot exactly point towards a causal uh, relationship, but that's certainly some uncertainty baked in and some variance that plays towards the, the Patriots side here. And I guess that's what um, uh, betters um, have been betting into early um, in the week. Pets are at home. Um, their offense has also looked much better in recent weeks. They only scored three offensive points against the Jets, but it was a, um, a game highly impacted by wind. 
and the Pats were still able against a very good defense to drive the ball down the field several times. And then against the Vikings, Mac Jones had his best uh, game of the season. They are attacking opponents more vertically through the air. So there was some optimism, in my opinion. And when you combine everything, Pats offense looking better, Pats, Pats defense being um, being good and healthy, and the Bills offense dealing with uh, some UCL uh, uncertainty for Josh Allen, I think that line moved down towards four makes a lot of sense at this point. We'll see how it goes. I also think that on a macro level, it might be the low, the low point of the market because Bills only laying four on the road against the Pets seems a little bit low. Um, like I said, there is so much uncertainty, but I would not be surprised if this is the low point and we might see a little bit more Bills money entering the market come Thursday. I would be very surprised if this got down to a three. From a Bills-Patriots game to a couple of teams that have been matched up with the Bills and Patriots quite often in recent weeks, the Jets at the Vikings on Sunday. This one, the total seen some interesting movement, opened 42.5, shot up to 45.5, and and we've recently seen some buyback the other way, currently sitting at 44.5. And on one hand, I totally understand the early over money. Minnesota has been a pretty much dead over team so far this season. And Mike White looked like quite the upgrade, Zuma, for your Jets at quarterback. And on the other hand, I really do understand this recent buyback down through the 45 to a total of 44 and a half because this Jets defense is legit. As much attention as their quarterback drama has gotten, the defense has been playing at a very high level. And then the Vikings defense, can't say the same about them. They would be an upgrade over very few defenses across the league. But Mike White's competition last week, the Chicago Bears, set the bar about as low as it can be. So I think White's going up against a better defense this time around. Sumo, what do you make of the movement we've seen in this total for Jets-Vikings? I think um, when the total was in the low 40s, it was a classic overspot. Because for as great as the def- uh, Jets defense has looked so far, you would still expect the Vikings to put up some points at home. And on the other side, that Jets offense, uh, offense with Mike White looks completely different. Like, I don't think he's a world beater by any stretch. And they played the Bears defense, which is arguably the worst in the league right now. But it was also puring rain, <laughs> which uh, we should not ignore at all. Now in a dome environment, I just think that Mike White gives the Jets offense a much higher floor. He just takes the design of the offense. Um, they got all their three starting receivers back. They are completely healthy outside of their offensive line. The Vikings defense is not great. It's a below average unit that is down Cameron Dantzler on the outside. That is down uh, first round rookie Andrew Booth on the outside. Um, they play almost exclusively a zone coverage and the Jets offense should have some success with their scheme against that. So um, I think the early money was completely logical in the sense that it was a game that set up very well for an over when you consider that the early market price was in the was in the low low 40s. Moving on to Steelers-Falcons. We've seen the favorite flip in this one. Atlanta opened laying one and a half, and now the Steelers, a consensus one-point favorite. Suma, I know that one seemingly a dead number in the eyes of a lot of bettors, but if we look at something like the money line, 
not so meaningless of a move. The Steelers went from in the range of plus 115 to now I'm seeing it north of minus 115 for Pittsburgh. So while it might seem like an insignificant move, why don't you uh, explain to us perhaps why it's not so meaningless overall? Yeah, so uh, Steelers um, on the road on the road at Atlanta. Um, Adam Chernoff gave it out in his in his uh, Telegram channel, which um, resulted in a big uh, move. Oh, while we are talking, Pinnacle is going towards three and a half on the Bills. Pretty interesting. Um, yeah, back to the Steelers against against the Falcons. Um, Chernoff gave this out, uh, which which resulted in a big move towards Pickham and then towards Steelers um, minus one. Um, I think what he's seeing and was the uh, and what the market since then was seeing that the Falcons probably shouldn't have been favored against a Steelers team whose offense is getting better, whose defense is getting healthier, and the Falcons are pretty much a completely below average team right now. Um, Steelers are getting better in all phases. They had a tough schedule to start the season, a very, very tough, uh, tough schedule, faced some tough defenses. Um, and now the Falcons in a dome environment uh, probably feel like a much lighter task for the for the Steelers. And um, yeah, th that's mm -hmm. what this game, uh, that's what brought this game uh, through the pick towards the Steelers as a short road favorite. From a game involving two below average teams to a game involving two above average teams, Tennessee at Philadelphia. We've seen the total in this one cross through that key number of 44, an opener of 43 and a half, now sitting at 44 and a half. Suma, I feel like a one point total move might not seem like a very big deal to betters, but when we're crossing through the 44, that is saying something. What do you think has led to the over money we've seen early in the betting market between Titans and Eagles? So sometimes I don't have a strong opinion and uh, we have hit this time uh, with the Tennessee um, Eagles um, total. I think anything around 44 seems to be the right spot here. Um, there is some recency bias back in with uh, Philly against Packers flying uh, almost into the 70s. But this game is a very good litmus test for the Philly Eagles offense. Because after running for over 300 yards against the Packers, they will now face the arguably the number one run defense in the league. Um, the Titans defense, they have some holes at outside cornerback, but their front seven, especially their run defense, um, has been top-notch. They've shut down almost every run game this season so far. So this will be a great test for the Eagles. They might come out with a game plan or will be forced to come out with a game plan which abandons, uh, abandons their run game a little bit and forces them to maybe more air it out with Adrian Brown and Devontae Smith against those um, cornerbacks from the Titans, which would probably make sense considering the matchup. And on the other side, the Eagles defense, very vulnerable or has been getting very vulnerable. They are not great against the run. Um, they now lost CJ, uh, uh, John C. Gardner-Johnson. They're all, already down at Wanty Maddox. Um, if the Titans can find some success um, on the ground and then can use their play-action game off of it, um, there might be some opportunities for some scores. So that that might have been uh, the, the root cause of that um, over-move, just that the Eagles might find some, sex through the, uh, might find some success through the air 
at the Titans might have a decent matchup against a vulnerable Eagles defense, especially against the run. One more game in the early window on Sunday I wanted to touch on with you, Suma, and that would be the Jags traveling to Detroit to take on the Lions. Another game where we've seen the favorite flip. Detroit open minus two. The Jags now laying a point pretty much across the board. So a bit of similarity to the favorite flipping in the Falcons-Steelers game we just talked about. In this one, Suma, I'm wondering how much of a buy sign you might have seen from Trevor Lawrence in a really strong last-minute drive to win outright against the Ravens this past Sunday. How much of it do you think the market could be just buying into Lawrence in this Jags offense? Or what other factors do you think could have led to the favorite flipping to the Jaguars? Yeah, the Jaguars offense has been very good over the past couple of weeks, especially their passing offense. Um, over the past four weeks, um, they have a top five EPA per dropback metric. And uh, Trevor Lawrence also ranks, I think, top five in PFF passing grade. So that passing offense is really coming together, despite having some limitation when it comes to their receiving options. Um, this is a matchup with two high-flying offenses and two bad defenses. Um, the Lions have a small advantage in the sense that um, they are coming off a mini bye week um, and the uh, and, and they are playing at home. So a small home field advantage, a small advantage coming out of the mini bye week. The Jaguars coming off a highly emotional last minute win against the Ravens. So it's it's uh, likely a slightly better spot for for the Lions here. Um, the Lions offense, when you look at their season long metrics. They might be a little bit undervalued because they played a few games where they were clearly banked up. And every game where Amara St. Brown was completely healthy, they have looked like a borderline top 10 offense um, by some efficiency metrics. I don't think that Jared Goff is playing extremely well, but he's executing the offense to the point where they are very dangerous. And they also um, showed that they were capable of scoring against the Bills um, offense. So this game to me, two good offenses, two bad defenses. Jaguars have the better quarterback right now, and this might be the um, de deciding point when it comes to who will enter the weekend as the favorite in this one. Well, if we've got two good offenses going at it in Jacksonville and Detroit, can't say the same about the next game we'll touch on. The Seahawks have had a good offense so far this season, but the Rams certainly have not. And this has been a fascinating side to monitor early in the it's been hit three times. Seattle opened minus five, shot up to minus seven. Then again, another move on the Seahawks from seven up to eight and a half. Finally, at that point, we saw some buyback on the Rams crossing back through the eight to a current number of the Seahawks laying seven and a half. Total has also seen some two-way action. Opened 42 and a half, got down as low as 40 and a half, now settling in at 41 and a half, right around that fairly key number of 41 Suma, a lot of interesting movement with both the side and the total here. What's up with the betting market for Seahawks Rams? Yeah, so first of all, this is very interesting because if I told you before the season started that the Seahawks would lay more than a touchdown on the road against the Rams, you have called me completely bananas, I would argue, probably. I would have thought you were probably talking about the Colorado State Rams instead of the Los Angeles Rams. <laughs> probably, yes. Yeah. So... Pretty insane swing um, uh, in season. Um, I think you cannot make a rational argument as to why the Rams should be dogs shorter than a touchdown here. Um, 
right now everything tends toward Stafford, uh, Matthew Stafford not playing, no Cooper Cup, no Allen Robinson, arguably the worst offensive line in football right now. Aaron Donald has an ankle sprain. We don't have any official word yet, but it didn't sound too optimistic. I don't know whether so defensive linemen, if, if they have a, a mild or even medium ankle sprain, they tend to play way more than other skill position players. We saw it with Jeffrey Simmons a few weeks back, who also had a, had a ankle sprain and suddenly he was playing the, the next game. But um, if they don't have Aaron Donald on that side of the ball, we are also looking at a bottom eight, bottom five-ish defense with only one star player left. And the Seahawks despite their limitations on defense, they can score on you. They have shown it again against the Raiders. They, they moved the, the ball up and down the field. They have a very efficient offense that is not fluky, that is working. Um, their run game is boom or bust, but against, against the Rams, you want to put the ball into the hands of your quarterback either way. So there is no reason to believe that the Seahawks will not score on the Rams. And then it depends whether it's going to be Matthew Stafford, which I don't believe at this point, but might happen. And then, then the line will get um, will get bet down. But if it's Bryce Perkins again with that arsenal of weapons, I don't think they can keep pace with the Seahawks. The Chiefs were a different opponent than the Seahawks last week. And the final score looked uh, very low scoring. But the Chiefs had several red zone opportunities that they had missed. They also had a interception in the end zone, so the final score could have been much higher. Yeah, I have no reason to believe that the Rams will somehow shut down the, the Seahawks um, offense, and then it depends whether you believe that the Rams offense can put up some points here. So, um, yeah, that that game north of a touchdown um, makes more sense than being uh, being south of a touchdown. As tough as it might be to watch the Rams on Sunday, a lot of NFL fans won't have to worry about that because we've got a few other really strong matchups in the late window. And we can touch on one of them next, maybe the matchup of the week, Miami at San Francisco. The Niners opened as three-point favorites. That's gone up to minus four for the 49ers. And I think one of the big X factors here, Kyle Shanahan and Mike McDaniel, awfully familiar with one another after McDaniel, the Dolphins' first-year head coach, had previously been the offensive coordinator under Shanahan in San Francisco. Suma, with that familiarity between these two head coaches, do you think either team might benefit from that factor in this one on Sunday? Well, let's flip a coin. <laughs> I can tell you whether it's going to be more advantages for Kyle Shanahan or for Mike McDaniel. Mike McDaniel uh, can't really say, um, yes, there's some familiarity, but for example, what, what Mike McDaniel is doing this season uh, at Miami is that he basically took a lot of concepts from the 49ers, merged it with what Tua Tagovailoa um, excels at, and basically had or implemented route concepts that just go deeper than the one for the 49ers. So with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, you can just run every route five yards deeper because of their crazy speed. Um, so they have basically built an offense that might be ma somewhat matchup proof. I mean, th there will always be defenses that come up with a good game plan to disrupt or to contain this offense. Don't know whether it will happen this week, but 
this is some kind of an offense with an accurate quarterback and two great receivers that are very, very hard to defend. So I'm not sure whether the advantage for the Niners will be that big. Um, the spread going from three and a half to four was also rooted in a release of Adam Chernoff. But then there was a, let's say, let's call it a wall. So there was some resistant at four that seemed to be, that seems to be the floor. Uh, right while we were recording, the pinnacle line came down to a flat um, three and a half. So Niners uh, minus three and a half, minus 110. Um, I also think that minus four for the 49ers might be the highest that we will see all week. And I can rather th see this coming back towards three and a half than seeing it going towards four and a half. There is a little bit of rain in the forecast right now. Taron Armstead will not play for the, for the Miami Dolphins. A tough loss for them. But with how good that Miami Dolphins offense has been playing with Tua, it's probably hard to make a case for why they should give more than four points here. As entertaining as it could be to watch Miami take on San Francisco, might be even more fun to watch an AFC title game rematch. The Chiefs taking on the Bengals in Cincinnati. The total in this one opened 50 and a half and has shot up to 52 and a half. Some of that probably driven by the news that it's looking like Jamar Chase going to make his return for the Bengals in this one. And I heard Steve Fezzik put it interestingly. This could be a total that draws a lot of over-interest from the Sharps and the Squares alike. So with that in mind and the return of a superstar wide receiver likely in the cards, Sumo, what do you think is the ceiling for the total when the Chiefs take on the Bengals? Um, I would be surprised if it touched uh, 54. Um, if it was last season or even uh, the season before, we would already be looking at a total um, north of uh, 54 and a half here, uh, north, north of 54. But we have to um, consider the scoring environment, which is uh, on a record low over the past uh, 10 to 12 years, which also keeps this one um, between the bands of 51 and uh, 54. There's no reason for this game to be um, uh, below 51. So I think right between 51 and 54 makes it, makes it makes a, a lot of sense. The Chiefs offense, um, when you look at some of the drive metrics, they are currently on pace for, I think, their best season since they drafted Patrick Mahomes. So so on a drive-to-drive -drive basis, they are even more efficient than, than last year. Um, and the Bengals are just coming together. They might get Jamar Chase back th this this week. Since week six, they are among the most efficient offenses in the league. So we are really looking at a matchup with two top three, top four offenses right now. So there is no reason for this total to be below 51. And the early market action also um, said that uh, we are not wrong in that assessment. The Sunday late window, maybe the best late Sunday window we're going to get all season long. Can't say the same about the Monday night matchup, but we've seen a big move in the line on that one. So let's talk briefly about the Saints at the Bucks. Tampa Bay opened a six-point favorite, and that has crashed down to Tampa minus three and a half. Suma, you've written and spoken often about Tampa Bay's coaching challenges when it comes to both Todd Bowles and Byron Leftwich. 
But the Saints had some high hopes entering the season, a dark horse in the eyes of a lot of sharp bettors, and they have just consistently failed to deliver on that promise, most recently getting shut out by San Francisco. So with this big move from Bucks minus six down to just three and a half, how much of it do you gauge as being pro Saints in any way? And how much of it do you gauge as being anti-Buccaneers? I think it's more anti-Buccaneers, uh, where betters are just saying that they should not lay uh, minus four and a half, minus five and a half, minus six against the Saints, even at home. I think what betters wanted to get was a confirmation of an upwards trend against the Browns, and they did not get that. Um, despite that, the offense was as bad as before the, the Seahawks game from Munich. Um, Todd Bowles had some wild in-game decisions. And on the other side, the Saints in the second half against the 49ers, they had a missed field goal from, I think, 38 yards or 48 yards. At least it was not a, a very long kick. And they had two turnovers inside the San Francisco five-yard line. So if if Eric Camara does not fumble the ball at the goal line, and if any Dalton maybe connects on that um, third and goal to Taysom Hill on a corner rod uh, into the end zone, and they win that game against the Niners, I mean, what would be looking at right now probably at minus three or something so um i just think that it's more of a primarily it's it's a it's a it's a move against the buccaneers who should just not lay so many points against the bucks uh, against the saints who will get marshall Lettymore back or likely marshall Lettymore back uh, this week saints are getting healthier uh, bucks know tristan Wirfs, their best offensive lineman so compared to last season they are now down i think four starting offensive lineman um, when you uh, just replace um, Shaq Mason with Ali Mapet, uh, that's not true but um, in general uh, it's just not the same Bucks offense there than last year this is typically the part of the show where we'd get into Fabian's forecast, touching on a game we haven't gotten to yet and seeing where you might anticipate seeing some further line movement. But at this stage, we've already talked about more than half the board, so we can leave it to the audience to read between the lines, so to speak, with some games that we've already discussed and move on from Fabian's forecast to the hops this week. Jacob, over the course of the last week, it sounds like you had some pretty light drinking plans when we recorded our show prior to Thanksgiving, what was the highlight of your hops adventures since we last recorded? Oh man. Uh, I think on the weekend, just, I was just hanging out at home. There wasn't really a ton going on. I've been enjoying the world cup thoroughly, uh, obviously still have football. So usually world cup is in the summer, so it's like nowhere near any sports, but I guess there's something nice about having all day world cup on a Sunday. And then once world cup finishes, you've got the rest of the day you're watching NFL football. So with that, I just kept it simple again, went with some gin and tonics, went with some rum and coke. So nothing extraordinary in the hops department for me, but enjoyable nonetheless. Yeah, I took a similar path going the cocktail route. I would say the old fashioned was the highlight of my weekend. Oh. Uh, enjoyed while watching USC beat down the Notre Dame fighting Irish at a neighborhood bar. And it was really nice drinking a few really good old fashions while watching a good old fashioned beatdown in a rivalry match, hoping for another USC win this week to secure a spot in the college football playoff. But we'll leave that for another day. Suma, Jacob and I both highlighting cocktails instead of the hops in our weekly hops segment. I know that you talk a lot about some great beer that Germany makes. Do you ever go the cocktail route as well? 
Oh yes, I also like to go the cocktail cocktail route. Um, old fashioned is great. Just one question: Which whiskey did you use? Uh, this one, I believe they use Woodford Reserve. Uh, it's the it, it's a nice Okay. neighborhood bar. So if I if I don't call anything specific, they'll typically go Woodford, and I have zero complaints whatsoever about that selection. Okay. Um, I'm a big Caipirinha and Mojito guy in general. So those two are in general my go-to cocktails. Love it. Well, not so much in the hops department for the purposes of this show, but it's nice to embrace variety as the spice of life, if you will. And we've seen a, quite the variety of line movement across much of the week 13 slate. As we start to round the corner here, I want to let people know that they can follow Suma if they're not doing so already on Twitter at Suma810. That's S-U-U-M-A-810. And you can follow me at MLandis18. Thanks to everybody for tuning in today. Jacob and I will be back here on Friday with Hitman for our NFL Week 13 Prop Betting Breakdown. Props and ups and props and